Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. We count it an honor and a privilege to have your company with us as we continue our exploration of this series that we titled A Holiness Movement. And A Holiness Movement is a series that is all about our understanding of the brand of Christianity that Jesus lived, died and rose again to launch on planet earth. This brand of Christianity essentially is all about living the life that resembles Christ on earth. Peter put it this way in his first letter, chapter 1 and verses 14 to 16. He says, As obedient children, that is people that have come to know Jesus, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance away from God. But as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And this is the directive. This is the instruction for God's people throughout all centuries. Is that they live a life that is completely different from the life they lived before Christ, which Peter titles adequately the life that we lived in ignorance. And here we are called by the Holy One. Why? Not just to get a ticket to heaven and live as we wish on earth, but to live like Him, to live a holy life. And it's not a theoretical holiness. It's not merely a positional holiness. He said, be holy in all you do. That is your life. That is your conduct. And we mentioned that throughout this series, we're going to look at a case for holiness, a case for Christ-likeness. And we're going to look at the scripture from Genesis to Revelation and present to you the foundations for holiness, the why me and you are invited to live a holy life that resembles holy Jesus. And secondly, uh, in, in several sessions from now, we'll look at our failure to live this holy life and what actually stops us, what prevents us, what are some of the warnings that we ignore and dismiss and become indifferent to a life of holiness. And for another seven sessions, we're going to look at the factors, the how we we can live a godly life. And today we're going to continue our focus on the foundations, the why we are called to live a godly, holy life. And I want to uh, propose to you that we are created. We are created to live a holy life just like our heavenly Father is holy. That's the premise of this, that God purposed for us to live a holy life just as He is holy. We're going to look at the purpose of God in creating us for a purpose and a function that maybe we have dismissed and maybe we'll live a life that is not consistent with the plan, the functionality, the ability that God had deposited in us. I wonder if you've ever used a product 
and realize that maybe you didn't use it to the best of its potential or maybe you misused it, you have used it for a particular function and it wasn't that uh, what it was you know, designed, manufactured to do. I've had uh, one of those embarrassing moments. I would say, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. You can't quote me on that. Uh, but, you know, those days when we were all, you know, doing everything through our mobile phones, we had our neighbors across the road from us who were almost like family to us. The kids would call them grandpa and grandma. And uh, they weren't that old, but they were uh, genuinely amazing family uh, to us, to Susie, my wife and I and our children. And one day, uh, uh, our neighbor John uh, was playing on his phone uh, with a particular app, you know, back in the days, we weren't so familiar with, with the apps on the phone. And he showed me uh, that you can manipulate a photograph that you take and you put some awesome filters on it. I hadn't seen that before, but I'm a sucker for anything photography. I love photography. I don't do very well, but I love it. I wish I was a photographer. It's like a dream, but it hasn't eventuated yet. So when my neighbor John showed me this, I thought, my goodness, I can be a photographer with a click of a button. Those photos look so professional. They look so beautiful. You know, you've got a little bit of a blur, a little bit of a of a filter sepia um, or, or whatever saturation on the coloring, it made the photos look extremely beautiful. Uh, that very weekend, uh, my wife and I went to uh, a, a suburb here in Melbourne called Williamstown. There is the beach and there is, uh, and there is uh, a park where our kids, you know, uh, played on the swings and ran around. And man, the photographer me rose to prominence. And I was taking so many photos of the kids and, 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 and playing with them on that particular filter and, and showing everyone of the family how fantastic my photos are obviously with the aid of the filters. I was so excited and, uh, and it was like a, a private family type of, of outing and having come from a third world uh, country where privacy was a big deal for our family, there were uh, a little bit of danger in, in some of our interactions in, uh, in this particular country and, uh, and we, we learned from a young age to be uh, very careful of what we share what we say publicly, what we show publicly. It was a, a, a very privately, uh, you know, a private oriented type of living. So I'm a, a, a pretty private type of person. I don't, uh, uh, you know, share much uh, unless it's in a spiritual environment with uh, people that I, I feel uh, connected with and accountable to. However, several uh, weeks later or maybe several months later, one of my co-workers in this particular environment said to me that they are following me on Instagram. I said, what's Instagram? They said, what do you mean? You've already been posting a lot of photos on your account on Instagram. I had to ask them to explain to me what is this Instagram thing and how did it come onto my phone? And this was actually the app 
that John, my neighbor, had asked me to install. I was thinking it's all about uh, you manipulating the photos. And I was absolutely broadcasting a private family outing to the rest of the world. Isn't it freaky and embarrassing at times that we misuse a product or we use something for a purpose that it wasn't necessarily intended for? And this, I would dare say, is some of the reasons why we are not living the life that God intended for us. Because maybe someone like John accidentally in good, uh, in good intentionality has misinformed us about our purpose as human beings. So in this particular session together, I'd like to share with you the biblical foundation of who you are and who am I so that we may be able to live according to the purpose for which we were created. And obviously the best passage to begin our discussions is the first book of the Bible and the first chapter from that book, which is the book of Genesis, which speaks about a theological interpretations of the origins of the earth and the origin of uh, humanity. It begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth now the earth, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And this is a summary statement about God creating something out of nothing. And this is the, the, the way that God uh, intentionally brought things to come to life by the, uh, the mere words of saying, let there be, and it was. It was a, an incredible uh, description of the difference between uh, the God, our God, the one true God, and the other records of creation that were familiar in, in back in those ancient days, like the Babylonian narrative of creation and so forth. But God here begins to bring things to life over six days. And in the sixth day, we are informed of God creating Humanity, God creating humanity. So uh, the, the, the brief account is Genesis 1, 27 to 28. And this is what it says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over it. Uh, the fish, the sea, and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here, we are told just immediately before then that God said, Let's create man according to our own image. And here the word Elohim that is used of God is a, a, a plurality. It's not a singular. And obviously as Christians, we're able to interpret that as the triunity God. But uh, it, here God is creating uh, the human being in his 
image. What does it mean that God created humanity in his own image? Image or likeness of God, they were two words in Hebrews that meant the same thing. It spoke of something that is similar, but it's not identical. Something that is similar but it's not identical. For example, these words would, would represent a, a replica, a statue, a painting, for example. It was something similar to the original, but obviously not exactly the same. And God created humanity uh, in, in much the same way. We're obviously not omnipotent. We, we're not omnipresent. We don't, we're not all-knowing. Uh, but God ad, uh, gave us His attributes that would make us like Him of the same kind. Uh, it's written again in Genesis chapter 5, I believe in verse 3. It speaks of the child of Adam, Seth, that was in the likeness of Adam. We don't know that he was exactly had the same hair or lack of, uh, you know, as Adam. We don't know exactly the color of his eyes. We don't know all those little intricate details, but we know it's of the same nature. Seth was of the same human nature. The plants and the animals produce according to their own kind, but we produce according to God's kind. We are living out the nature that God has deposited in us. And uh, obviously throughout all of history, uh, the church, uh, godly people uh, have attempted to interpret what it means to be in the image of God. And there are three primary views. The, the first one is the substantive uh, view. That means we have qualities that resemble the qualities of God. Then there is the relational view of uh, God's image. That means we have uh, the interpersonal capacity to relate just as he says, male and female, he created them to be able to interact interpersonally. And then there is the functional view where we have capabilities to be able to do activities like God has uh, does himself such as be fruitful, multiply, there's uh, uh, and subdue and reign and, and, and show, uh, express dominion over the creation that God created where we represent God in that. I, I don't want to get into a lot of details about these theological views, but two points stand out for me in a very simplistic way. It's too simple but too profound. Number one, to be created in God's image, that means we are like God. We have a nature that resembles the nature of God. We have an identity that is shaped by our relationship with God. We have an identity that takes its meaning from our interconnectedness with God. We resemble the family traits of God. Right? Because she created us to be his family. Secondly, when it comes to ruling over and subduing, which involves work and activity and, and representative dominion, we're not just like God, we represent God in our universe, in our planet. We show off what God would do himself. And that means we have the identity 
that is shaped by God and we have a calling that is ordained by God. This is what it means to be in the image of God. We have an identity, a position with God that we are His family, that we are representatives of His attributes and we also carry His ordained calling for our lives, a vision for our life so that we are uh, not just uh, a people that are, uh, you know, like God in, for example, in moral uh, immorality, in moral judgment, uh, able to differentiate right from wrong, or in our spirituality, able to connect with uh, God that, you know, that is spirit uh, and able to worship Him in spirit and truth. It's not only about the relationship that we have, that we are relational beings, that we're creatures of desire and connections. It's not just about our immortality or our creativity. It's about living out and expressing those attributes of God in daily practice. And I believe the biggest barrier for us to live our holy life that represents Christ on earth is that we've forgotten or we limited our image to God as if it's just about our identity and relationship with God. And we ignore the idea that we're created with a mandate to express the nature of God. We are created with instruction and capability. It's like God is not only commanding us to represent Him. He's saying, you've got what it takes. It's not a, only a command, it's a commendation. You have what it takes. So many of us are so petrified of living the life that God created us to live. Why? Because we imagine we don't, know, we, we don't have what it takes. And we'll address that in another time. But the first thing I want you to know that you were created to, to represent God and to be like God, to have the identity that is shaped by God and to live out and express a calling that is ordained by God to express His nature. And that hasn't changed throughout the entire history Old and New Testament. God's plan for us has not changed. It's an eternal purpose for our functionality of who we are and what we do. God's eternal plan is communicated in the book of Ephesians, which Paul wrote uh, from a prison in Rome. And uh, in chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 6, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which has freely given us in the one He loves. And if you notice with me here, we are chosen before the creation of the world for the very same purpose that Genesis 1 has declared. Number one is that our identity is shaped by our connection to God and His nature. And that is what Paul says here, that we were predestined, pre-planned 
for adoption to sonship, to have our identity and our reality, our nature shaped by our identification by being part of God's divine family, divine ordained family. And also that we have a calling in life. He says that we would live holy and blameless. That means we would express the nature of God who is holy, just as we looked at last week in Isaiah chapter 6, is that to be holy, that is to express the nature of God. We are not just uh, changing in terms of our nature and identity. We are also changing in terms of our calling to express the life of God. And that is continually being shared and explained in Ephesians 4, a couple of chapters later. It says to put on the new self. That is our renewed person in Christ. That is our regenerated person. That is now restoring the image that God intended for us to bear in Genesis. And sin distorted that image, defaced that image. And, and now God is restoring our image of our God-likeness. He said that to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And the Amplified Bible uh, puts it this way, put on the new self, the regenerated and, new, uh, and renewed nature, created in God's image, God-like, in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. Look at this, living a, in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. The nature that God deposited in us, the nature that God purposed for us in creation and deposited in us uh, based on the redemption of Jesus and the renewing of our nature by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same nature. It's being like God in righteousness and holiness. That means we live out in such a way that shows that we separate from the common use. We are set apart for God's exclusive use so that we can express His character and His will in our lives. It's have always been the same. Granted, our image was defaced and distorted as a result of sin and the virus of sin, which we'll talk about in the next session. However, what we need to be aware of that Jesus who came to planet earth to not only save us from our sin, but also to express to us the image of God. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, which is uh, an epistle written immediately before uh, the, the, the letter to the Ephesians, that written from the same prison. And Paul says that Christ is the invisible image of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, also tells us that He's the exact representation. He's the glorious brightness of God's character. So now, when we talk about our purpose of living the image of God, we say we live like Christ because He's the one image that embodies to us the image of God. We need to look at Him so we know what we 
are like, what is being deposited in our life, what's our potentiality in Christ. And Paul makes it utterly clear in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What is His purpose? Which from Genesis is the same. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It is the same eternal purpose. It hasn't changed in the New Testament. You can't just undermine God's intention for us to be shaped, our identities to be shaped by His character and our lives are to express His calling over us, to express His nature. That hasn't changed. The only difference is the image of God which could be abstract or it could be difficult for us to embrace. He has chosen to reveal that in the person of Christ. So we look at Him and we say, we are to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is God's predetermined purpose of His people. Every time you hear somebody tells you it's all about receiving Jesus so that you can be forgiven of your sin, they are underselling you the privilege of being fully transformed into the likeness of Christ. What a glorious privilege! That you and I are created for the purpose of being like Christ in every way. And and, in the way that we experience our identity and our position. And in the way that we express our God-ordained calling to live in a holy and blameless life. And Paul articulates even further in a straightforward line in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I think it's verse 3. It says, it is God's will. It is God's intention. It is God's purpose that you should be sanctified. In another translation, it says, it's God's will, your sanctification. We have spoken about sanctification as the gradual process through which we become more and more like Christ, more and more holy, more and more set apart for God's purposes and use. And Paul actually articulates this Christ-likeness in four primary ways in this very chapter. He says that, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. The first area that Paul says this is the image of God, this is Christ-likeness, this is an area of spiritual growth, is your relationship with God. Created in His image that you want to worship Him, you want to please Him, you want to bless Him. Yeah, it's a motivation of love. The first area is relationship with God. The second area, he says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you can't live an impure life, that you guard your inner life, that you live in purity, in holiness, in a practical way when no one else is seeing. So your inner life is characterized by purity. And then thirdly, he says, now about your love for one another, 
we do not need to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family through Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. The third area of our spiritual growth that shows the characteristics of our Christ-likeness is our love for other believers, our interaction. We are relational beings just as we've been created on the image of a triune God. We have an ability to love other people. And finally, it says, and make and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hand just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. He's telling the believers to live such an honorable life, such a, a beautiful life that will attract the the respect of others. They may not believe what you believe, but they can't help to admire the way you live your life. That's the way we make the teaching of our Lord attractive as Paul teaches in Titus. So our last area of showing Christ-likeness, developing in our Christ-likeness is in influencing other people in the world who don't know yet, who don't know Jesus yet. This is the areas of our sanctification, the areas of our holiness. This is the desire that God has for us, our his purpose for our lives and this is really the reason believers pursue holiness this is the motivation because it's God's eternal purpose for their lives to be holy is to be fully alive it's not a bad thing we embrace our God-given identity and express our God-ordained calling and that is how we live our best life living a holy life is the best way you could live your life this is how you are purposed and 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 planned to live a life that brings you the greatest joy and brings God the greatest joy that his designed uh, human being is living according to the design that he has for them and Jesus purchased that restoration of that that design by his own blood this is one of the very profound reasons why we choose as believers to live a holy life that set apart for God that resembles the life that Christ lived on earth and that is my hope and prayer that you feel empowered and encouraged by the spirit to pursue a life of holiness thank you so much for being with us we look forward to being with you in our next episode until then be utterly blessed